Welcome back to Current Affairs, our show about the stories of love gone fatally wrong that are in the news right now. These shorter, more contemporary stories come out on Fridays while our big old full-length episodes come out on Wednesdays, as some of you are well aware. But today, we are going to be diving into a couple of very interesting updates. First, we turn to Ocala, Florida. On March 24th, 55-year-old Herbert Swilly called the police requesting a welfare check on his husband, Timothy Smith. 59-year-old Smith was found naked on a bed in one of the couple's residences, dead from an apparent, quote, blunt trauma injuries to the face and possibly to the genitals. Police also found ligature marks on Smith's neck. An autopsy would confirm that Smith had died from asphyxiation as well as a spinal fracture. At first glance, Herbert was every bit the grieving husband. He cooperated with police and organized a GoFundMe, which raised thousands of dollars to go towards a funeral and a celebration of life party for Timothy. Throughout the months following Timothy's death, Herbert would post long and loving Facebook messages in his memory. However, it wasn't long before police centered in on Herbert as their main suspect. In August, the Ocala Sheriff's Office officially made Herbert a suspect making a statement the very same day that Herbert left an anniversary message for Timothy on Facebook. At the time, the sheriff's statement read, Detectives spoke with Mr. Swilly at the earliest stages of the investigation, and they have been trying to speak with him again. But his attorney had indicated that he will only cooperate if he is provided with immunity from prosecution for Timothy's murder. Herbert's daughter, Jordan, was also considered a person of interest. Hmm, well, fast forward to last Friday, and Herbert Swilly was arrested on suspicion of killing Timothy Smith. He faces one charge of first-degree premeditated murder and another of tampering with evidence. Alongside the arrest announcement, we started to get some details about the evidence against Herbert. The sheriff's office said that he had been caught on camera disposing of two carpets in a landfill, as well as removing videos from their doorbell camera system. A mutual friend of Timothy and Herbert had also apparently alleged that Herbert had previously made homicidal threats and had a history of violent outbursts. Two of the witnesses detectives spoke to expressed fear of Herbert coming after them for talking to police. Swilly is scheduled to appear in court next month. Man, it's just another one of those cases where somebody, I think, is almost getting off on the sympathy and the praise. The grieving spouse, yeah. It's crazy. Next up, a follow-up from one of our main cases. You may remember the case of Dan Markell. Markell was a Florida State University law professor who was shot and killed outside his Tallahassee home in 2014. The death had come after a bitter custody dispute with Markell's ex-wife, Wendy Adelson. Wendy wanted to move from Tallahassee to Miami in South Florida to be closer to her family. A judge ruled, however, that Wendy could not move the children without Markel's consent, and he refused. Now, in terms of who actually perpetrated the crime, Catherine Magbanawa and Sigfredo Garcia had previously been convicted. Catherine had hired Sigfredo, who was the father of her two children, to kill Markel. Sigfredo called in his childhood friend, Luis Rivera, to help with the hit. Rivera received a 19-year sentence for second-degree murder in exchange for testifying against Catherine and Sigfredo, who were both convicted of first-degree murder. The question, of course, was who had hired them? The prosecutor's contention was that this hit was organized by Wendy Adelson's brother, another deadly dentist, Charles, or Charlie Adelson. 
To make this all the more complicated, given that the hitman Catherine McBanoa hired was her baby daddy, turns out that Catherine was also Charlie Adelson's girlfriend at the time of the killing. Adelson's defense was not very strong. Against the normal evidence of most defense attorneys, Adelson took the stand in his own defense. His argument was that he was not the mastermind of this operation, but simply another victim. Oh, boo-hoo. He claimed to have been extorted, saying that Catherine had showed up at his house after the murder, said it was her friends who had done it, and that Charlie had to pay $300,000 in 48 hours, or he would also be killed. Prosecutors said there were simply too many inconsistencies in Charles's story. And it appears the jury agreed, returning a guilty verdict on Monday on charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and solicitation of first-degree murder. After the verdict was read, Dan's sister Shelley told reporters, This has been a really long and terrible ordeal for all of us. It's taken a long toll on our lives. And there's a real sense of relief today. We covered this case just about a year ago now. I think it was a November 2022 case. And we also had the privilege of interviewing Dan's mother, Ruth. So if you want more information on this very, very sad story, I very much recommend, of course, checking out our episode, but also getting Ruth's book, The Unveiling, which was a heartbreaking account of a mother's and a family's loss. But I'm so happy to hear that they're one step closer to justice in this case. There are the other Adelsons that are still free, predominantly Wendy, who is at obviously the center of this. So we will see if this case continues to play out, but I'm glad that they got another measure of justice this week. Absolutely. In our main case today, we turn to the story of a fatal love triangle in Texas where yoga instructor Caitlin Armstrong is accused of killing cyclist Anna Mariah Moe Wilson. Caitlin and Moe had both been involved with professional cyclist Colin Strickland. Colin and Moe had dated in the past, while Caitlin and Colin had been together off and on more recently. According to prosecutors, Caitlin was extremely jealous of Moe and angry that Colin had insisted on staying friends with her. During their opening statements in Caitlin's trial last week, the prosecutors said that Colin and Caitlin had argued about Caitlin contacting Moe. They said that she tracked Colin and Moe's communications via Instagram and email. In May of 2022, Moe had come to Austin, Texas for a race. On May 10th, Moe posted her bike ride on workout tracking app Strava. Prosecutors allege that Caitlin used the app to locate Moe and that that night she tracked Moe down and shot her three times with the final shot straight through her heart. Moe was found by the friend she was staying with, Caitlin Cash. Cash testified that she had found Moe covered in blood lying on her back and that when Moe was unresponsive, Cash called 911. The 911 call, which was played in court, features a tearful and distraught Cash describing her friend's terrible state to the dispatcher. In the days after the murder, authorities say that Caitlin Armstrong fled to Costa Rica, where she would spend more than a month on the run. She had fled after police issued a warrant for her arrest, and she was using her sister's passport and even got a nose job and cut and dyed her hair to alter her appearance. She spent 43 days on the run, but ultimately it would be yoga that would do her in. (laughs) 
Deputy U.S. Marshal Brandon Fila said that one of the authority's primary strategies to track her was to search local yoga studios in Costa Rica, which I'd imagine there's a lot. I think so, too. (laughs) Yes, they had some work cut out for them. We knew she was going to be associated with some type of yoga studio, said Fila. When foreign officials arrived at that yoga studio, they did find a handwritten login that was the same alias that she was going by when she traveled to Costa Rica. Once they developed that pattern, it really opened up things and they quickly closed in on Caitlin Armstrong. Caitlin was flown back to the U.S. in July, and yet that would not be the last we heard of her. In October of this year, while being escorted to a medical appointment by corrections officers, Caitlin broke free and led officers on a mile-long foot chase before finally being recaptured. She is really something else, this, yeah. this woman. She really is. We did a Patreon episode about this case, which I'm considering maybe releasing to the public as this <laughs> trial goes on, but wow. So Caitlin's defense claims that the prosecution's evidence is highly circumstantial, going so far as to call their client trapped in a nightmare of circumstantial evidence. Man, I don't know about this. Well, the trial is ongoing, so we'll continue to bring you updates as they come. Until next time, I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette, signing off for Love Murder Current Affairs. <laughs> 